What's going on, jazz fans? Welcome back to the Final Note Pod. I'm Ryan Bike, and I'm here with BK Ben Coons and Kenny the Net Bike, not Smith. And today on the podcast, we are going to review some of the contracts that went down this last week and a half. And we will also review the preseason that we just finished up. And then we will preview the first week of jazz basketball, which is super exciting. So today, let's start with what we have in the contracts. We saw Paul George sign a max extension with the Los Angeles Clippers. Anthony Davis signed a max extension with the Los Angeles Lakers. Giannis signed a super max extension with the Milwaukee Bucks. And then, obviously, most applicable to the Utah Jazz, Rudy Gobert signed a max contract extension as well for four years plus a player option for a possible fifth year. A little bit about that contract. This year, he's scheduled to make 25 mil as the last year of his current contract. And then we also have next year he will start making $35 million. And by the end of this contract, he could potentially be making $46 million. What do you guys think about this Rudy Gobert deal? You know, honestly, I, at first I was kind of hesitant on, on the signing Rudy Gobert to a contract. I actually talked about it with a couple people that I know. And to me, I actually don't mind it. I, I like... I like where the direction is going. I think Rudy Gobert fits the Jazz system and what they want to do very nicely. I mean, if you look at the stats and things that he's done in the last, you know, five years, he's contributed a lot not just to the not just to the Jazz, but in the NBA in a whole. He is really ranked high in a lot of a lot of things, especially defense. Um, he he ranks high in you know defensive win shares, uh, defensive plus minuses, and total blocks, rebounds, defensive rating, stuff like that. He ranks really high offensively. I mean, he obviously is high on the field goal percentage things, but he doesn't take any shots outside of three feet. So there's a little bit of want from my side of things. Like I want him to improve. I want him to have that elbow jump shot. I want him to expand his game. But at the end of the day, I, I really like. I think I like it more than I dislike it, honestly. I think I'm in the same boat. The league is trending in a, in a direction where traditional big men can be replaced with different styles of play. We've seen it with the Rockets, and we've seen it with other teams. I think this is a good move for the Jazz because it avoids a situation where Rudy Gobert leaves the team and the Jazz don't get anything from him leaving like they did with Gordon Hayward a few years ago. When Gordon Hayward left, he just left. The Jazz ended up getting nothing really out of him except one playoff series win. By signing him to this extension, it is a huge contract, and I would say he's earned it. But if they, in the future, want to move on from him, now they're in a position where they can move on from him and get draft picks in exchange for it. It is a large contract, and it's and it's something where, in that situation, it's not ideal. That's not something you, I feel like the Jazz want to look for in two to three years to trade him for something in return. But I feel like that's a good backup plan. That's a good safety net for them. That safety net, I think, will help them in the future if Rudy is just not working out, if he just takes, if he falls off a cliff. I personally don't think he'll fall off a cliff. He ranks really high in wins above replacements. I mean, last season he averaged 10.6, and this year, um, 538 has him projected at 11.4 wins above replacements. And that's all-star caliber play right there. And those don't, those type of guys, they don't grow on trees. And so when you have one of those guys, 
who likes being in Utah, you can't just get rid of him. It's hard to find stars that want to play in Utah. And he is a star, and he wants to play in Utah. So it makes sense to keep him around. If in two to three years it's not working out, they can back out on it. Sorry. Um, something else to just add on to that is, you know, Mitchell signing his big deal. There's also the fact that when those two are on the floor together, Jack Gobert is not on the floor, and Donovan Mitchell's by himself, he, they're a minus 2.3. So they complement each other statistically really nice. It may not look like it on the court, or you look at their games, you'd be like, well, he just gets in the way, or Rudy Gobert gets in the way, or, you know, Rudy Gobert can't do this because of Donovan Mitchell. It's actually not the case. Statistically, Donovan Mitchell and Gobert together make the Jazz much, much better. I mean, that's a 10.6 point swing. You know, it's a 10 point swing. And so, you know, I think the pairing of Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell will work out in the long run. It has worked out up to this point, and it's worked out pretty well. I think adding more pieces to it, they've got – That's. I think it's the best chance of getting a championship, honestly. Yeah, to build off that real quick, last year we saw the Jazz kind of – well, they didn't kind of come up short. They came up short in the playoffs, and we scratched our heads over the offseason. We asked, why did the Jazz come up short? And when you look back at the series, they really didn't have a second big man to Rudy Gobert. And so I feel like some of that flack kind of, you know, got put on him without there really being a reason when he was off the court. Um, but when they signed Derek Favors, that kind of helped that second unit, which, like Ben said, the Jazz aren't as good with Gobert off the court as they are with him on the court. With Derek Favors, they'll be less bad, and I think they'll even be good with him. So they've made the right moves. And to say, and Rudy earned this contract, really. He's played at a high level for a long time, and he's really developed into a great defensive player. And so the Jazz have fixed a lot of problems, and so I think that they'll be good moving forward. I, I agree. Now, the one thing that does concern me, you guys talk about how you think that he's movable. I look at this contract. Rudy Gobert was pretty hard to move this year when he was making $25 million. In three years, Rudy Gobert will be making $41 million. And I do think that you're not going to be able to get great assets. You're going to have to take on really bad, either really bad contracts, or you're going to have to get another Supermax player that doesn't fit in with their team anymore. And odds are those are the players like John Wall, like Russell Westbrook, who seem to be on the decline at the back end of their Supermax deals. So I, I like the Rudy Gobert signing. And Kendall is 100% right when he says he is a game changer. He's just not a game changer in the way that these other Supermax players are. These other Supermax players are offensive game changers, whereas Rudy Gobert is a defensive game changer, and I think that that's unique in and of itself. When you look at Rudy Gobert, the... Sorry, one second, I'm looking it up. But when you look at Rudy Gobert... He's made All-NBA. He's been Defensive Player of the Year. And he's done that for the last three seasons. And he got a contract very similar to Paul George's contract. And Paul George is a six-time NBA All-Star. And he's a five-time All-NBA team. But he also has four-time, or he also has four All-NBA defensive teams. So Paul George and Rudy Gobert essentially have a very similar impact on the game. Because Rudy Gobert has three All-NBA teams now. None of them are first teams, if I'm correct, but he has several All-NBA teams. And then, just like Paul George, and Paul George has, or he has several All-NBA teams, or sorry, All-NBA defensive teams. And that's where Rudy Gobert really has been applicable for the last five years. I don't know it off the top of my head, and I'm not going to look it up, but I would assume Rudy Gobert has probably equally as many defensive 
All-NBA appearances as Paul George does All-NBA. And All-NBA for centers is harder to make because there's only one center that can make an All-NBA position. There's two wings that make it on three different teams, so you have six All-NBA wings, whereas you only have three All-NBA centers. So the fact that Rudy's been there the last three years and he's been either second or third All-NBA, he's one of the two or three best centers in the league. And would you pay Nikola Jokic a Supermax? Of course. Would you pay, who would you even put at the other one? Anthony Davis, is he considered the center? You'd pay him the Supermax. Giannis, would you consider him the center? You'd pay him the Supermax. So these players that are are getting these contracts are deserving of them. And I would 100% say that Rudy Gobert is deserving of the max contract that he got. So I I like it. I think that him and Donovan Mitchell can win together. I think the Jazz's success now depends on the development of Donovan Mitchell and those around him. Can Jordan Clarkson step up to be a sixth man of the year? Can Donovan Mitchell take that step up into the top 10? He's a top 15 player in my book, but can he make that jump and surpass the Bradley Bills, surpass the Paul Georges, surpass those bottom tier, ultimately James Harden or one of those guys, and really make that leap into the elite of the elite? Same with Jason Tatum. I mean, those are the two that you're going to see make that stride and hopefully jump into the top 10 by the end of this season. That's a great point, Ryan. And I think something that we as as fans um, tend to forget often is how good Rudy Gobert actually is. As fans, we look at the Utah Jazz and we see Donovan Mitchell as the face of the franchise. And that's fair because he's the most marketable. he's He's more than just the Utah Jazz man. Rudy Gobert is in the same case. He's not the face of the franchise. He's more of the foundation, what they've built around for the past seven years. And so the Supermax isn't just necessarily paying him for the future, but also paying him for what he's been doing. Because he's he's done things and he's worked at a lower rate, essentially, for the past seven years than what he was serving up. And so this is also to pay him for those all-NBA selections, for being a solid defensive player and the foundation of the Utah Jazz. Right. No, and I, I understand and I agree with you guys 100%. Um, another thing to add to that point, Ryan, is um, defensively he is by far the biggest game changer in the NBA right now. Rio Gobert is the biggest defensive game changer. And we can debate. Everybody can come and debate me all they want. I don't really care. You're not changing my mind. Gobert impacts the game defensively more so than any player in the NBA right now. And offensively, although I would like him to step up a little bit more and be able to you know, have that jump shot this statistically it's not vital i mean in the playoff run uh in the last year's playoffs with, against denver i mean he still was scoring you know i think it averaged 16 points a game and 14 boards I mean, it's not bad it's not a it's not a bad performance especially when he's just a lob guy or a you know grab a bull, grab a rebound and put that guy and i think that the more you utilize that he can easily become 20 points, 14 boards, you know, with two extra possessions, you're, you're there. And so that's really, in my opinion, where the Jazz need Rudy Gobert is a 20, 22 points, 14 rebounds, two blocks. That's where I'd like to see Rudy next year. And I think if he gets to that point, it's easier for me to kind of swallow that, you know, $205 million contract pill. It's just easier for me to see, yeah, it's, it works a little bit better. See, and I even disagree with that. I don't think Rudy Gobert needs to be a 20 point a night guy. He's, not going to be. That's just not who he is. 
And last year he tried to be that guy because he wanted to prove his worth to get this Supermax deal. And now he's got it. So now he can just be Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert was his best two seasons ago when he was just dunking the ball every time he touched it. And the Jazz have now got enough shooters and enough outside perimeter threat that Rudy Gobert can manipulate the paint however he wants. And I think Rudy Gobert can break his dunk record. So the field is going to be, or the court is going to be spread up, spread enough now that Rudy Gobert is going to have the space that he needs to operate down low and to get the ball. And he's going to have facilitators like Donovan Mitchell, who's an improved passer. Mike Conley, who's going to be an improved passer. He primarily played with pick and pop players. It took him a whole year to get used to a pick and roll. Mike Conley can run a pick and roll. We know he was able to when he played at Ohio State and he had the best role man in the entire country in Greg Oden. So he has proven before that he can run a pick and roll and he can do it with Rudy Gobert because Rudy Gobert is better than Greg Oden was. So he, he can do it and he's now had the time to adjust to Rudy and that will help. You have Joe Ingles who's going to be able to get the ball to Rudy Gobert. You have plenty of playmakers who are going to be able to distribute to the ball to Rudy in a position where he's going to get that and Rudy's going to have that space because every one of those guys can knock down a jump shot, can knock down a floater. And now they have to focus on that because if they step off of that bank, they're going to get cooked for two points with a floater or with a mid-range shot. But if they step in and double team that, then what's going to happen? Oh, we're going to kick the ball out to Jordan Clarkson or to Royce O'Neal or to Bojan. And they're going to smack a three. And just like that, it's going to create all sorts of problems. And, it really, really showed itself in the preseason, and I'm going to kind of transition us into the preseason right now and talk about some of these performances. The Jazz shot so many threes and made so many threes this season or this preseason, and you're going to see that for 72 games. You're going to get a 72-game clip of it, and obviously we're recording this right now after the Warriors just got the doors blown off. And people have the Warriors making the jet, making the playoffs over the Jazz this year? Yeah, right, dude. It's not going to happen. The Warriors looked awful. And, and they're not just Clay Thompson away from the playoffs. Like, the yeah, Warriors I mean, are bad. I agree. So, so from the preseason, like, I, I'm yeah, not going to focus on the game. Yeah, I, I agree. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to say, Ben, you said you didn't get to really watch many of the preseason games, but you tracked them statistically. So I'll let you break down the stats, and then I'll talk about what I saw. And I don't know what ha- what you were able to watch, Kendall, because obviously you were out at school, so you had limited TV there. But I'll, I'll let you guys talk about the stats, and then I'll pick up and, and talk about some of the things that worked for me or, or that, that stuck out to me. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, we're kind of doing this over uh... – over a phone call, so sometimes it gets a little spotty and cutting in and out. So that's my bad if there's two, if I'm overlapping. But uh, yeah, so the preseason, I was un- unable to watch, but I was able to do some research. I, I stat tracked the entire time, and uh, a lot of what I liked was really Clarkson kind of showing up and falling out. I mean, game one, he had 19 points. Game two, he had 12 on 5 and 9 shooting in 23 minutes. 23 minutes, uh, and then in game three, he had 20 points on 5 of 12 from three-pointer. 
which, you know, Clarkson, I don't classify as a three-point shooter. He's more of like a mid-range, kind of a create-your-own shot in the mid-range area. But, I mean, shooting five or 12 from three is really nice. And so Clarkson really stuck out to me statistically and pretty solid contender for sixth man of the year. I really like what Clarkson's been doing. Bogdanovich looks like he's back and shooting well and tiny. In game three, I mean, he's shooting well. I think his hands, his wrist, you know, I think he's back in, back in shape. I, I think we're going to see the, the typical bogey that we usually see. Oni, um, is a guy that I was kind of looking for in the preseason, personally, just because he's kind of the, the backup point guard as of right now. And he didn't really impress me in game one. He had three points, had 25 minutes and only made, you know, was one for six. It was really tough. Um, for him, you know, in game two, he had eight points. And so, I mean, I saw a glimpse, statistically, I saw some glimpse of kind of some high hopes and a lot. Uh, I mean, the guys got to the free throw line. They scored well in the paint. The thing that really stuck out personally, it's a big issue, is the Jazz are notorious like absolutely 100% notorious for being like the kings of turnovers. I feel like I feel like the Jazz just turned the ball over more than anybody. It's killer. So I think going forward that's ball protection's going to be a big thing. I mean, they only had 11 turnovers, 11 turnovers in game 3, and I don't remember off of like the second and first game, but I know it was well over 11. I think it was up in the 20s something um turnovers. Um, so for me, statistically, that's what I liked. Um, I liked seeing Clarkson shoot well and play well and seeing Bogdanovich back, can kind of get back into his rhythm, get his shot back, get the feel for things. And uh, based off the preseason, the guys are going to be pretty tough. I think they're, I think if that's what you should, the Jazz you see, I like, I like what, what you're seeing from the Jazz. So, yeah, like Ryan, I, I like all those points from Ben. And like Ryan said, I think you to watch a ton of it, uh, just finishing school up this semester, um, broke college kid stuff. But... I feel like the biggest stat for me, and I know it's just preseason, was W's. The Jazz won, and then they won again, and they and they won again, and they won big. It's not like these games came down to the wire. I feel like that really shows their the coaching side of things. The Jazz, I feel like they can compete um, top to bottom, roster to roster, any team in the league. They're just as good. So the, from there, you have to know how to use your players. And I think the coach, Quinn, does such a good job of using his players and knowing what they can do and knowing what they can't do. So the fact that he was able to still outscore these other teams when he was using the back end of his roster playing the back end of their rosters, I think that's a good indicator of how well coached the Jazz are. I think that they're going to move in a direction this season where he is going to use all of his players to the max. I feel like this is a dream for Coach Quinn. He had last uh, two years ago, he had Derek Favors and Joe Ingles running that second unit, and they had a good second unit. Well, then he lost Derek Favors, and he had to try to fit Bogdanovich into this new first unit, second unit hybrid kind of role, and it was just a little bit more tougher, and they just didn't have as good of a second unit. This season, he has both of those things. He has that Bogdanovich in the first unit and that Joe Ingles, Derek Favors second unit with Jordan Clarkson running the points that he, I feel like, is has dreamed of. This is going to be a very well-coached team top to bottom that at any given moment on the floor – whether it's their starters or their role players, they can go on a run and that they can be out and that they can out coach the other team, that they can out hustle them and out discipline them. That's something that I think is going to happen because I really believe in Coach Quinn. He's really turned the franchise around in terms of coaching and those preseason wins of continuing to coach when it necessarily when it doesn't necessarily matter show that. Yeah. And and here's the thing. I, I love the point that you make about how you have to, to take this 
this incredibly deep team now that the Jazz have and match up against these teams that you're playing. I think the craziest thing that we've we've never seen this before in in Jazz history, in my opinion, but this is the deepest team that you've ever had. I mean, you look at the depth charts of the team at center. You have a all NBA center to start. Then you have probably the best backup center in the NBA in Derek Favors. And then you have a rookie who has very high potential and is a freak of nature athletically. So he can base his game off of a very similar style to Rudy Gobert. So that's your, that's your center spot. At power forward, you have Spoyan. You can go big with Derek Favors again. And then you have a toss-up of three players, Jarrell Brantley, Jawan Morgan, and Georges Niang. Niang played the most in preseason. And to be fair, I'm not the biggest Georges Niang fan, but he actually played pretty well in preseason. He stuck, he stuck, he stuck out of the three. He was the one that played the best. He shot the ball the best. He didn't defend the best necessarily, but that's not Georges Niang's strength. And the other thing that seems to be somewhat improved is his ball handling. So then you go to the wings, and your wings at starting are going to be probably Donovan Mitchell and Royce O'Neal. That's how they started the, the final game of the preseason when everyone was available. The other thing, or sorry, it's going to be Donovan and Bojan, because, or sorry, Bojan starts at the four. So it'll be Donovan and Royce. And then coming off of the bench, you have Jordan Clarkson, you have Joe Ingles. Both are proven veterans, and both can defend, and both can score or shoot. And then Jordan Clarkson is an elite scorer who can get you 20 points any night. So you have them. And then wing depth, you also have Mie Oni, who is going to be a player who looks to step up. Elijah Hughes, who reminds me a lot of Alec Burks his rookie year, when Alec Burks could just come on and fill it up. Not necessarily the best defender every night, but he's going to be able to get buckets. You have Shaq Harrison, who can play the one or the two. And then you also have... You, at point guard, you have Mike Conley, you have Trent Forrest, who was actually very, very good in the preseason, and who I think is the backup point guard in a scenario where Mike or Don is unavailable. So I think breaking breaking down this Jazz roster and watching them play in the preseason, the Jazz made, the, the draft was very disappointing on draft night for a lot of people. Not me. I was actually very pleased with the draft. I liked Doak because at the time we didn't have Derek Favors. So I think that the Jazz have a very, very deep lineup. And then you look at some of the G League players that we have, like Yogi Ferrell, he signed and was waived, but he's going to be on the Stars. And so you have you even have depth coming up from the Stars. So the the Utah Jazz are, it's, it's a new look. And when you think about the one seed in the East the last years, it's been the Bucks. And what have been the, what's been the Bucks' biggest strength? It's been their depth. That's going to be a different thing for the Bucks this year because they got rid of a lot of their depth to try to increase that starting five. And, and ultimately, they accomplished what they were trying to do, which was keep Giannis. But now you have a reverse psychology where can the Jazz do what the Bucks did so well in, in playing with depth? And can the Jazz do what the Denver Nuggets did really well last year, which was have an incredibly deep team? And I think they can. I think the Jazz have passed the Nuggets in depth. I think the Jazz have passed the Clippers in depth. I don't know if they've passed the Lakers in depth because the Lakers got better and deeper this offseason. But 
I, I just think that they put themselves in a position where their matchups are going to be positive almost every single night, and you can match up with just about anybody. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I like it. I mean, the Jazz, they have expectations of being better than they were last year. That's for sure. They have a better roster, and they can only go up. And if they don't, it'll be a huge disappointment. But, and, and that, that brings up another point. If the Jazz, some reason, don't make the playoffs this year, this draft is probably the deepest draft we've had since Donovan's draft. And on top of that, you're going to also have a top, you're going to have a lottery pick because this is the last time that the lottery, it's a lottery protected. After that, it's going to be a future first that goes to Memphis. And so you, if you're going to miss the playoffs, this is the year to do it. So in a worst case scenario, and the Jazz don't make the playoffs, they severely underperform or someone has a awful, awful injury, or several players have season-ending injuries, then in that, that case, it's not necessarily a terrible thing. It's not a good thing, right? Obviously, you built this team to compete and to contend. But in a positive note, who knows? Maybe Elijah Hughes hits. Maybe Jordan Clarkson steps it up and becomes the sixth man of the year. Maybe one of these role players really picks it up. Royce O'Neal picks it up and averages 15 points a game instead of six. So you can, you can see the, the potential. And, and yes, I think that ultimately it depends on can Donovan make that top 10 jump. But who knows? If you have a player step up like Joe Ingles did the year with Gordon Hayward, Joe Ingles stepped up tremendously and really elevated the play of the Utah Jazz. Can you have someone very similar to that this year and going into the future too? Okay, so let's let's break down the upcoming games for the Utah Jazz. They play tomorrow night. When this is produced, it will be that night. So that will be Wednesday, December 23rd. They play at Portland. Ben, you have some of the stats from Portland last year. I'll let you go over those. And then we can talk about where we think key matchups will be. I know Ben was having some difficulties technically. Oh, yeah, he just texted me. He lost connection. So um, last year, I just have an all-time record versus the Portland Trailblazers. Trailblazers. I'll take this one from here. So Jazz all-time record, 104-88. to 88. They have a, a winning record against them. Last year, they went 2-1 and one against them. Uh, and they beat them pretty soundly both times um, that they beat them. And they lost pretty poorly when they lost to them. So from there, I can remember these games. They were pretty. They were actually pretty tight. And you know, when you match up with the Portland Trailblazers, they're kind of similar teams, and they're kind of not. Portland has a better backcourt than Damian Lillard, and dude, his name escapes me. But whatever, CJ. the funny guy, uh, Damian Lillard. Yeah, CJ McCollum. There we go. Um, they have a great back backcourt there that really competes well with the Utah Jazz. They also have a great frontcourt now that Nurkic is back. They're going to have some matchup issues there. But I think that the Jazz are just deeper now because if Nurkic is for some reason bullying Rudy Gobert and Rudy Gobert is having an off night, you have a couple of wild cards with Doc and with um, Derek Favors. And so they have a good matchup. They have, they have a better matchup in the front lead for the Trailblazers. And so they have a good shot at winning this game, especially if they can establish defensive presence and hit those threes that they're talking about taking. They have better wings. Uh, Bogdanovich blows any one of their wings out of the water. And Joe Ingles is a good defender, um, good enough to – hang with anybody on their roster that's not playing in the front court. So they match up pretty well, and they should be able to take this up. I, I agree. And the other thing that – so the biggest matchup for me, for me, I actually think that it comes down to who's Robert Covington going to guard? 
Are they going to stick him out on Bojan and try to try to limit Bojan's production and play straight up against Donovan Mitchell? Or are they going to put Robert Covington on Donovan Mitchell? And then if they do so, where does the next matchup come from? Because I like like we've been talking about this whole time, I think the Jazz can really pick on whoever is if they're if teams are going to use a set defender on Donovan Mitchell. There's going to be somebody who has a positive matchup, and they have that matchup now. So for me, I think the biggest matchup is actually not even the Rudy Gobert Nurkic matchup. For me, the one that that sticks out the most is Donovan Mitchell versus C.J. McCollum, because Damian is going to get his. Dame is All NBA first team player, first or second best point guard in the NBA at this point of his career. So he's going to get his, and he's going to he's going to outperform Mike Conley. But can the Jazz limit what C.J. McCollum does? And Donovan Mitchell's going to go and get his, but his production has to be similar to what Damian Lillard does. And then we also have to limit how much C.J. McCollum hurts because McCollum has a history of hurting the Jazz in the games that Portland beats us. So how do we limit him? And what what are your thoughts, Ben? Um, yeah, no, I, I am in agreement. I think it is the CJ versus Donnie matchup is that what I'm going to be looking for, really. Um, I was able to kind of do some research on the last season's games. Um, I got to go to I got to go to one of them on that big block where Gobert had that game saving block on the reverse layup. I got to see that one in person. And the the biggest thing for me um, is in the two games that the Jazz won. Uh, they were up big, and the Portland just clubbed their way back and made it a game. Um, so one of the big key points that I've got is, you know, the, the Jazz can hang with them and the Jazz can outplay the Portland, but Portland always finds a way to claw, claw their way back. Um, and so I think if we can, if the Jazz can weather the storm, that comeback and can weather that, I think the Jazz can be able to hold tight with uh, with them. Um, so, and then there was the game that they lost. I mean, Dane dropped 51. He was playing probably the best basketball in the NBA at the time. And he walked in there and he was basically just like God's gift to basketball, pretty much. Like no one was in the league was stopping him. I mean, he cooked the Lakers for 50. He cooked everybody for 50. And that was one of the games where he was feeling hot and he cooked us for 51. Um, and so um, I think the Jazz, if they can uh, slow down Damian Lillard, like you said, Damian Lillard's going to get his. If they can slow him down a little bit. I mean, they two games that they won, they had, Damian Lillard had 34 and let's see, let me look at it real quick. He had 34 in the first game that they won, and then he, had, he still got 42 in the second game that they won. So even if Dame scores high, they slowed him down. Like, you know, they, they, he had to take 30 shots to get there and shot below 50%. So they just got to slow him down, make force him to take difficult shots and everything like that, and then contain everybody else. I think the Jets have a good shot at winning, winning this game to start off the bat. So... I like that take a lot, Ben, because there's been a lot of games that I watched at the Utah Jazz where that that same thing happens, but to Donovan Mitchell. So Donovan Mitchell will go off for 40-something points, and he'll score buckets and buckets and buckets. The Pelicans and Ingram also went off for 40. I think that when you have one player, that, especially in today's NBA, that they can key in on and say, we'll give this guy 40. This good guy, can you can have 40 on us, but we're going to shut everybody else on the floor down, and you make it to where this one player has to beat you. That's when you can get rolling, and that's when you can really beat teams that you're not better than. 
the Jazz are better than the Trailblazers. And so with that being said, they should really focus on not having just one key scorer. They have lots of guys that can score, and that means they have lots of guys that should score in this game. Jordan Clarkson needs to score. Bojan Bogdanovic needs to score. And Mike Conley and Rudy Gilbert, they all need to score. And I'm not talking like 10, 15 points. It would be ideal if Donovan Mitchell was one of two or three 20-plus point scorers in this game. Um, you have to look at those stats for me real quick, Ben, but I don't think in those other games that – they had other scorers, the Portland Trailblazers, near 20 points. Unless it was C.J. McCollum. points, other than the strategy. If we're going to let Damian Lillard score 40, but nobody else is going to score. Right. And so they need to have the reverse strategy of, you're not going to limit us to just one player. Everybody on the court is going to be able to score at any given time. Because they have a lot of scorers, and they have a lot of shooters. And that will be the key for them beating the Portland Trailblazers on Wednesday. I agree. Yeah, I agree. So then next up, we have... So, actually, before we go into the game against Minnesota, real quick, what are your guys' predictions for the game, for the score, whatever you guys feel? Well, I'm telling you right now, I got 50 bucks on this game that the Jazz, Jazz got to win it, so they better win it. So, I think I think it'll be a good game. I think it'll be a, a it'll be a tight game. I think the Jazz do pull it out. I think they, they win less than 10. I'm not really sure what the score may be. Um, they're both going to score – over 100, but I think the score, the deficit's going to be within 10 for the Jazz, I think. Yeah, I'll go somewhere around there. Um, with a fully healthy Jazz roster and a fully healthy Trailblazers roster, it should be somewhere like 116 to 109, somewhere around there, and I think the Jazz can come out on top, especially if they can move the ball around and make sure that they have a lot of diversity in their scoring. And then, so I'm looking here, it looks like the Blazers are a one-point favorite. I cannot find the spread here anywhere according to Vegas so with that though obviously everyone's predicting a very close game it, it, it'll be close and and to be fair I think the Jazz and the to be fair I think the Jazz and the Blazers are going to be two of the teams fighting for the three seed at the end of the year I think that I think the division that we play in will take seeds two or sorry will take seeds three four and five that that's my that personal Den- opinion Denver, Denver, Denver Portland Utah, Utah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when all is said and done, I think that's what it's going to be. So next thing that we I have, think Minnesota can sneak in with an eight too, because Minnesota has some some talented players and they could surprise a lot of people. I I disagree with that, but <laughs> all I, right, we can disagree. Uh, I I think that I think there's too many good teams in the West for Minnesota to sneak in. If we did a one through sixteen all all around, I think the Timberwolves are one of the sixteen best teams in the NBA but I don't think they're one of the eight best teams in the West, if that makes sense. That, yeah, that's fair. I, I agree that they're, I think they're a good team, and, and that's, why I, that's why I think that eventually the NBA does need to go to the 16-team playoff where it's just the 16 best, 16 best records. But I, I, I don't think that they can crack the top eight just because our division is so, our division is so brutal. If Minnesota were in the East or in a different division and they didn't have to play us four times, Portland four times, and Denver four times. Because I think, I think realistically, they probably win three of those twelve games, and, and that's that's rough. That's nine. That's like nine given losses. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's fair. but they're they're not a team that the Jazz should overlook either. When I I agree, and and that that's a great transition because the next game is against the Timberwolves. So the Timberwolves are a fantastic scoring team. They had Carl Anthony Towns, who had 26 points per game last year. D'Lo, who had 
21.7 points per game. D'Angelo Russell, for those of you who don't know nicknames, uh, he was on the Brooklyn, he was on the Brooklyn Nets, traded to the Warriors for Kevin Durant, and then traded from the Warriors to the Timberwolves at the deadline for Andrew Wiggins, who is not very good. Andrew Wiggins sucks and the Wizard or the Warriors suck. Um, He's better than me at basketball. I, I shouldn't say that he sucks because he's a very good basketball player. He's in the NBA, but he's an above average. He's an above average NBA player who is underperforming for what he should be. That that's my opinion. And and D'Angelo Russell is a very good basketball player. He's the guy who I wanted the Jets to try to get last year before we. He was, I had D'Angelo Russell as the number one target, Mike Conley as the number two, and Bojan as the number three. So we got our our two and three options last offseason in my book but D'Angelo Russell is fantastic I love the way D'Angelo Russell plays I think D'Angelo Russell is a winner and he cares about winning which is something that the Timberwolves haven't had in the past so I, I think that's a big thing and then obviously the addition of the first pick in the draft and Anthony Edwards that was 19 points per game in the SEC he played for Georgia he can score a lot of people who I talk to say he can defend as well. I've seen the one play where he shuts down Luka. I haven't seen anything else outside of that. I'll, I'm not going to make an effort to watch the Timberwolves in preseason. And that's that's where I stand. So outside of the, the scoring, I, I don't think they can defend that well. I don't think Carl Anthony Towns is a very good defender. D'Angelo Russell is obviously a defensive liability. And that's the reason that the Jazz picked Mike Conley over him was because of defense and and that's the biggest and, and obviously D'Angelo Russell is a free agent as well as opposed to being able to trade for him that's another huge factor but I think the reason that Jazz wanted Conley more than D'Lo was because of defense so so what are your guys' takes on this yeah so um I think for this for this uh, for this game I think the key matchup is going to be Gobert versus Towns I think that's going to be the matchup to look out for. Um, just the two big guys going after it, and uh, something that uh, I want the Jazz, I want to see the Jazz do, is force Russell into the paint to have Gobert try to Gobert favors whoever try to get try to disrupt shots and keep Anthony Towns out on the perimeter. Um, I know Anthony Towns is a is a is a pretty good shooting big man, but in the last. Oh, let's see. They played three games last year, and the Jazz had a two and one record against them. In the first game, when the Jazz won, Towns shot two and nine from three, uh, scored twenty one points, had eleven boards, but he shot two and nine for three. So we can keep him out on the perimeter. That's going to be ideal. I mean, in the in the second game when the Jazz won, let's see. Let me look here. He didn't. He shot. He didn't shoot very well from the outside as well. He shot, you know, a little better for a seven, but he only took ten shots. And so we're keeping him on the perimeter. He doesn't do much damage. He played at a minus 20, 14 points, 12 rebounds. Now, the game that they won, Towns had, like, a career night. In order for the Jazz, for the Jazz to lose to the Timberwolves by 10 points, Carl Anthony Towns had to shoot 7 of 15 from 3, and Donovan Mitchell shot 5 of 23 from the field. That's what it took for Minnesota to beat the Jazz. So I think you keep Towns on the perimeter – Force D'Angelo Russell to take difficult shots in the paint. I think the Jazz, the Jazz walk away with this with this uh, fairly easily. Yeah, I, I think they yeah. should easily beat him, Kendall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they should beat him. It really, they really need to take away Carl Anthony Towns. He's far and away the best player on their team. 
I feel like the best strategy, this is just a fan, this is just me looking and having a huge man crush on Derek Favors, is to go big against him. I don't think he's tough enough to handle being beat up by a Derek Favors and a Rudy Gobert in the paint. I don't think that he carries himself very well in terms of being a, a presence and a force. I don't think he's intimidating. And I think he's just another good scoring center, which is, which is impressive. Like, like Ryan said, these guys are in the NBA, so they're, they're way more intimidating. You know, this is all relative. But I think that the Jets have the advantage, top to bottom. Every single starter is better than... I think, I think, I think D'Angelo Russell is better than Mike Conley. But outside of that, I would agree with that statement. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I still would take Mike Conley simply because he has more experience and he has a better team to work with. He's got better shooters. That he got better people that he can pass the ball to than D'Angelo Russell. Mike Conley doesn't have to be a scorer. D'Angelo Russell kind of has to be the scorer on his team. So if they can keep the ball out of Carl Anthony Towns' hands and make him uncomfortable and get it to where everybody else on that team has to step up, then they'll walk away with an easy W. The key is shutting down Carl Anthony Towns, and they can do that with a defensive player of the year. Like Ben said, it took a career night from Carl Anthony Towns to beat him, and it took Donovan Mitchell having a less than average night in order for them to lose. So the Jazz are the better team, better coach, better players. They're tougher, and they should just run away with this game. Yeah, and, and one thing to consider as well, they, they have a lot, a lot of point guards. So I wouldn't be surprised to see D'Angelo Russell slide to the two, Anthony Edwards slide to the three, and then start a Ricky Rubio or a Malik Beasley at the point guard. But then, then you have a super small backcourt, which benefits Donovan Mitchell and benefits Rudy Gobert. So, because uh, because Carl Anthony Towns is is pretty soft when it comes to defense in the paint, and so I I really think the Jazz should should easily run away with that one, especially because it's going to be the second game ever, no first game ever for Anthony Edwards. It, rookies tend to go 100 miles per hour in in their first games, and yes, they're they're going to have adrenaline help them. Care, like they're gonna they're gonna play well, but they're not gonna play to the best of their abilities yet because better competition, adrenaline, and experience. So I I, I look out for them. I I don't think it's it's like Kendall said. The Timberwolves aren't a team the Jazz should overlook, but at the same time, the Timberwolves are a team that the Jazz should beat. And and if you're gonna be a top three team in the West, this is a game that you have to win. Portland away is a game that you want to win if you're a top three team in the West, but it's a game you can afford to lose. Whereas Minnesota at home is a game you have to win if you're going to be an elite team. So I agree. That's that's what you got to look for. I I think the Jazz come away with a win. I'm not even going to look up the spread on that one just because I I I don't foresee it being very close. I I think with home opener, some fans in the arena, it's it's going to be it's going to be a special night for the Jazz. I think Jazz won by 15. Yeah, I, I I I completely anticipate a blowout. Yeah. I hope for a blowout. I don't like to predict the future because you're wrong. So also true. I hope the Jazz win. I hope they kill them like they do like they do every single night. And I think that they have a good shot. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a super super excited for this Jazz team. It's like I said, I think it's the deepest team in Jazz history. I think this team has potential. Uh, I, I think this team has championship potential if the cards fall the right way. And I think if they don't, 
they have conference finals potential regardless of the outcome or regardless of the situation. So that's that's my hope. I, I think that it's going to be a fun, fun jazz season. So excited for basketball to start tomorrow. And I, I, I what are your guys' thoughts? It's back, baby. Basketball is back. I have my life all together once more. <laughs> I, I agree. Psyched, psyched to follow the Jazz this season. Psyched to have the, the listeners, you know, the 401 or whatever of you. That's shooting really high. They are listening. It's like to have you guys here with us to follow this first inaugural season of the final note. Um, you know, I really think that the Jazz and the final note can have big years this year especially with all of the potential that they have and the potential that we have, you know, the, the, the pot's pretty deep on our side too. So we'll have, we'll constantly have guys rotating in and out and it should be good. I'm really excited to um, see this Utah jazz team. Yeah, I, I agree, Kendall. And I, I have graded them. I want to, I want to see them win a playoff series and not just hear about it. Um, I'm really excited for that. I really, really, really want to see them win lots of playoff games this year. I, I 100% agree. I, I want to see us win a playoff series. I'm sick of first-round exits. So I, I just want to thank everybody for listening. And remember to like and subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Final Note Pod. I'm Ryan Vike, and I speak for Ben and Kendall, and this is the Final Note. Pod. Love you guys. Bye.